This is Scott. Hey, this is Mike. Welcome to the Scott Mike Podcast, your novel 24-7 news source. All the news you need in 24 minutes every seven days. Circumscribed with the caveat of an old proverb, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Or, for you more intellectual types, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Well, hey, Mike, good morning. Another uh, day of news, and today we got a lot to talk about. Good morning, Scott. Yeah, on what has been um, kind of a slow summer so far, I think we've got a lot uh, of important things today. So listen up, listeners. Yeah, if we're going to get through our 24 minutes uh, in seven days of news, Dude, we, gotta we go. better get going. We better go. Ru- Let's go. So Dunning-Kruger for this week, Mike. Rudy Giuliani is our Dunning-Kruger example. So, of course, people know Giuliani is the former mayor of New York City, Trump's hometown. He and Trump have a pretty long and mixed history. Uh, but the the current sort of Dunning-Kruger example kicks off in 2018 when Giuliani joined Trump's legal team and became his spokesman amidst allegations and investigations of sexual assault and Russian interference with the U.S. presidential election. And then fast forwarding, he has also spearheaded legal efforts and comments supporting Trump's claims just recently that he actually won the 2020 election until, of course, he was abruptly fired in February. So Giuliani knows Trump. I mean, Trump's been in New York his whole life. I'm sure he's been very involved in the political scene. Uh, He made a calculated decision to get in bed with Trump in 2018 and then re-upped that decision uh, late last year after the election. Well, a new book by Michael Wolff, who's written two prior books about Trump, Uh, and his presidency that have some pretty good credibility, says that Trump is upset that Giuliani actually sought payment for his work as Trump's lawyer in seeking to overturn the 2020 election results. Now, that's the first problem uh, that, you know, Trump gets upset and now he's persona non grata, Giuliani is with the Trump group saying, why would he want to get paid for taking, you know, this leap and and spending all this time defending my uh, presidential election? So, I, you know, I don't as a lawyer, I'm kind of wondering, well, what did he expect? Uh, you know, free, free ride there. But in any event, that's the least of Giuliani's problems at this point, Mike. He's been suspended by the New York bar for statements that he's made in conjunction with, with that effort to overturn the election results. The Department of Justice is investigating him for violation of foreign lobbying laws. Dominion Voting Systems, of course, has included him in a uh, lawsuit for his uh, libelous, quote unquote, libelous statements. Uh, And the British newspaper, the Daily Mail, recently published an excerpt from the Wall Street Journal, Michael Bender's book uh, about the inside story of the recent election, saying that Trump has regularly insulted Giuliani while they work together, calling him weak and pathetic. I mean, I can't imagine Trump saying that about anyone. Oh, no. Uh, And that he sucked. Bender wrote uh, that despite being mocked, Rudy still craved Trump's attention and sought to be close to him. So I think Giuliani may have miscalculated the benefits and risks getting into bed with Trump back in 2018. And and then he kept re-upping on it. So I don't know if he just has this one of these syndromes where he's got to be around a star. He wants to be with the president and say he's a friend of the president, or if he really made a bad decision, uh, you know, in terms of what, what was going to play out here, Mike, but I think Giuliani may be regretting his decision. Excellent. Dunning Kruger, uh, Scott. Um, I love it. 
uh, one man's complete and total desire to be important, right? And and that just blinds everything else. He he knows he knows Trump. He thinks he knows Trump enough to to get involved, but he doesn't really know Trump. But it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. That's for sure. No, not right now. All right, Mike. Well, you better get us into the news. Okay. Well, I'm going to start. Uh, we're going to rename. Our, you know, we usually we start with COVID. Let's start with health. But um, but it is going to be, of course, mostly COVID related. And I'm going to start with some good news regarding the Delta variant and vaccines. Um, some guy in UK put together a chart where he did the um, the deaths um, compared to the new cases of COVID. And the deaths, he, he, he puts the chart so the deaths lag two weeks. And the chart is truly amazing. And if you can find it, um, you know, on Twitter or whatever, that's where I found it. Uh, it really is amazing because you can see how the deaths and the new cases just match perfectly until this third wave, which is mostly a Delta variant wave in the UK. And the, the, the cases go way up, and I mean way up. But the um, the the deaths remain virtually unchanged. So I, I recommend everybody take a look at this because it's great news how the vaccine is taking care of people and how um, how the, really the the link the, it, between deaths and cases has been severed uh, since the vaccine came along. Well, Mike, I, I was reminded this morning that the third wave is, in fact, raging. And when I say the third wave, I mean the third wave of the media trying to create fear and hype over uh, a few facts that they're blowing into what seems to be this huge resurgence of the pandemic. Uh, and so I think it is important that our listeners focus in on facts like this one, Mike, uh, or the fact that even though, yes, cases have been going up, they are still quite low compared to the history of the pandemic. And as you said, even here in the United States, I read that deaths uh, most recently are barely ticking up and have even ticked back down uh, perhaps the last yes, week. So yeah. uh, this idea that we have a new rampant uh, you know, pandemic and that people who are fully vaccinated are dying, I think is a total misconstrual of the facts. Right. And before you go spout anything off to your friends, pull up the graphs, pull up a few things and look at it yourself. Um, it, it's just mind boggling how the media is going crazy right now over the Delta variant. Speaking of vaccinations, of course, an important uh, factor to track in this, but the Our World and Data uh, organization has reported this week that the number of fully vaccinated people globally has hit the 1 billion mark, Mike, uh, over 13% of the global population. Wow. And while that's not... You know, that's still not a high percentage. It's significant that we've hit a billion and it's, it's amazing, uh, you know, is is climbing. So it's amazing. The science of the pharmaceuticals that's uh, that's happened here. It's just boggles my mind. And in the U.S., uh, even better news, Johns Hopkins, the Center for Health and Security, they're reporting nearly 60 percent of American adults are fully vaccinated. So it's the, the rate is slowed in terms of daily vaccinations. But uh, you know, we've got a pretty good chunk of our people vaccinated here. Yeah, but yet Scott Biden is not happy with it. Um, he's trying to combat what they consider misinformation about the vaccines. He is accused, and you probably saw this, Scott, he's accused Facebook of killing people, quote, killing people, end quote, due to yeah. the failure to stop the spread of such misinformation. He blames Facebook for not taking more aggressive action 
to shut down messages discouraging vaccinations. I mean, it, it's crazy what uh, you know what Biden's trying to do here, politicize all this. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's not a big stretch, Mike, considering uh, big tech and their conspiracies that Amazon, after spreading the virus, would in <sighs> fact hand over to Zuckerberg and the Facebook team the effort to continue the misinformation so that they could continue uh, you know, uh, fear so that people are shopping online and, and Amazon's yeah. making a lot of money. Right. Now, right. That- I did hear Siri on a serious note. I did hear that Bezos made a comment about, uh, benefiting and making a lot of money, uh, from people shopping at, you know, because of the pandemic online and that he's getting some pushback for that. I mean, it's a fact, but yet it's a fact. apparently people are upset that he said it. He shouldn't say it. He shouldn't say it. No. Well, he should, he can say whatever he wants. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Well, I guess he is the richest guy in the world, but... Um, health authorities in several counties in the Bay Area of California and Las Vegas have issued new recommendations for masking indoors for everyone, Mike. Uh, uh, L.A. County has implemented a mask requirement again in most public spaces. Um, and, yeah, and uh, you know, it just it looks like we're going the other direction in some areas. Yeah, yeah we are. And Joe Biden said in a CNN hosted town hall meeting Wednesday in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I quote, the CDC is going to say that what you should do is. Everyone under the age of 12 should probably be wearing a mask in school, end quote. Are you kidding me? Um, so to follow up with this, we, we gave you the UK child death study last week um, where I mentioned that only 25 children under the age of 18 have died in the UK over the course of a year from COVID. And I went and found a few more facts about this. And that, that was true. Only 25 children under the age of 18. And... Um, there were 3,105 deaths from all causes among the 12 million or so people under the age of 18 in England um, from March 2020 to February 2021. So a year period, right? 25 were attributed to COVID-19 at a rate of about two for every million people in the age range. None had asthma or type 1 diabetes, but about half of them had conditions that put them in extremely high risk um, the normal healthy children of dying from any cause like uh, things like tube feeding or assistance with breeding. They, they had those things wrong with them. So so that really means that less than 12 um, fully healthy kids, and I don't even know how healthy these were, uh, died from um, died from COVID over the year. So with that in mind, Scott, while I'm definitely pro-vaccination, I wonder about the efficacy of people wanting to require max masks of children when the primary reason for requiring them would be for one segment of the population, the kids, right, to do something that is clearly burdensome to to them, um, simply to help another segment of the population, like elderly teachers, parents, etc., who have the option of getting vaccinated. Uh, So let's think about a philosophical argument. Um, We could, for example, require kids to... um, to be 24 before getting a child uh, driver's license, right? We could save a lot of lives that way. But of course, we don't do that because of the burden it would require uh, on, on kids and parents for driving them around. We could, for example, uh, close every nightclub and bar so that the people, when they leave those nightclubs and bars, they don't get into a fatal, fatal traffic accidents and kill other people. But we don't do that. Yet we're worried about a few kids, and I mean maybe just a couple kids in the United States dying from COVID. Um, look, final thing, Scott, I know I've been on a rant and, and I know these masks mandates, 
Um, I look at them with similar scorn uh, for the Democrats, because that's mostly who's involved here, the Democrats and the unions, the teachers unions. I look at them with the same scorn as I do Republicans with their anti-vaccination rhetoric. It, It boggles my mind. Both sides are so entrenched with their politics to view the topic logically. Uh, so anyway, I'm sorry, Scott, I took like two minutes of our podcast for that. But uh, what do you think? Well, I agree, Mike. I think you're right on target. And and again, pointing to facts, uh, you know, to, to back up what you're saying in terms of the risk. And in addition, I will tell you that I read this morning an expert panel in the UK uh, that is making vaccination recommendations, refuse to recommend vaccination for children in the UK for very similar reasons, that they found the risk to them based on those who get COVID and the symptoms they experience just doesn't justify a government recommendation for vaccination. Yeah, uh, excellent. So they've come to the same conclusion, I think, about the risk to kids. Excellent. I mean, if I had a if I had an eight-year-old kid, would I get them vaccinated? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I might. Um, but it'd be my decision, right? I mean, and, and whether they go to school and have to wear a mask all day, that's just utterly absurd. But anyway. Right. right. Well, contrasting with that, uh, Mike, the UK has this week lifted almost all COVID era restrictions. I'm sure we'll be watching closely as the UK experiment unfolds and gives a strong signal about whether COVID-19 can be relegated to the status of a manageable seasonal menace as opposed to this uh, crisis and, and pandemic status. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I sure hope everything goes well in, in England, and I really honestly expect it will. Um, the vaccine numbers are pretty high there, just as they, they are in the are. United States, so we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think about almost 70% of their population, adult population, has been fully vaccinated. Yeah. All right. The the University of California system has declared that unvaccinated faculty, staff and students will not be allowed to return to campus this fall. Um, It's the largest public institution of higher education to do so. There's over 10. There's 10 campuses and over 285,000 students in that system. So, um, Scott, I, I think with all my ranting, people might be surprised to learn that I support the University of California's right to to make that claim. I mean, the kids can go somewhere else. The faculty can go somewhere else. If they want to make a mandate like that, that's certainly their option. I think states certainly have the legal right to require vaccinations in the appropriate circumstances, just like they do with kids in lower, lower levels of school. Um, at the same time, I think the University of California or Indiana University and our previous discussions are public institutions. And there probably is, in my mind, a little different threshold for them in terms of requiring medical treatments versus a private institution. So I I hear what you're saying. And I think there is a threshold where the government has the legal right and should ethically mandate vaccinations to protect people. But I, I you know, I, I don't know if we're there yet with this. Right. Where you draw that line is tricky, Scott. I'm, I'm going on the, I'm going on the school, the university side that they can. I, but uh, I, I certainly understand the other side of the argument. I mean, I did do a little extra re- research recently on decisions around this historically. Uh, and there's a Supreme Court decision a number of years ago that supports the government's right to mandate vaccinations in schools. So I, I think legally they're on pretty solid footing. Yeah, good. 
In addition, Mike, uh, some Chinese localities are mandating vaccines for persons who use public venues, including schools and libraries. Uh, in China, they only have at this point a 40% vaccination rate. And I also read this morning that France is moving the same direction to mandate vaccines for people who are going to be using certain public venues. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if some of those mandates uh, happen in the United States. I'm, uh, you know, obviously we just talked about the universities and the public school system. Um, we'll see if it stretches any further than that. Uh, okay. So finally, last thing about COVID, uh, the Olympics report, the Olympics are scheduled to begin on Friday. Um, that's tomorrow for us, but some American athletes, including gymnast Kara Eaker, I think her name is, and basketball player Katie Lou Samuelson have tested positive for COVID-19 among others and may not be able to participate. There have been at least 67 recent tests among the more than 11,000 athletes expected to gather in Tokyo, and those people will not be allowed to participate. Um, very sad for them. I, uh, my, I guess the number seems very low. I mean, it seems very, 67 out of 11,000 seems pretty darn good, but I just feel so sorry for those athletes that can't participate when their odds of passing it on or anything else um, probably is slim to none. So, ah, gosh, if I were in charge, I'd let them participate. Yeah, and I, and I also feel bad, Mike, for Tokyo and, and this country of Japan. I was yeah. reading an article this week just highlighting how much preparation they've done for these Olympics and, of course, how they've spent billions of dollars to build yeah. stadiums and facilities. And, and now, you know, even Toyota, who is a world sponsor of the Olympics, is refusing to advertise on the Olympics because of the controversy around whether to hold them. Uh, and it just it, – it's such – you know, a disappointment for them. I know that it's come to this. Very sad. Very sad. So moving on to markets in the economy, um, unemployment rates came out this morning and filings actually jumped up to 419,000 people in the last week, uh, well above the consensus estimate of 360,000. So that's way higher. 419 compared to 360. That's, that's what they were expecting. Um, since the onset of COVID-19, the unemployment rate has been the primary indicator of the labor's mar labor market's health. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with these numbers. I, I think the stock market hasn't really reacted. So I guess they've taken this into account. Well, I don't know, Scott. Yeah, I, uh, Mike, I guess this reinforces what we saw last month in terms of the slight tick up in the unemployment rate, despite the significant increase in the number of jobs added to the economy. So it'll be interesting to see what we see at the end of July. Uh, my guess is we might see another tick up in the unemployment rate uh, and a good number of jobs added. So maybe people are just trying to get back into the labor market. China experiencing very robust economic growth this year, reporting a 7.9% annualized increase in GDP for the second quarter of the year. Uh, they had 18.3% the first quarter, uh, which puts them at 12.7% year over year for the first half of the year. And they are fully expecting to achieve their 6% target. China, of course, known for aggressive targets in economic growth, and they've been pretty darn successful at meeting them. And it looks like they're really back on track. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So I'm going to take an opportunity to slip in some things I've been reading about China and um, Trump fans can be happy that there really hasn't been much change um, with his, you know, picked battle with China, with the new Biden administration, past administrations, uh, you know, from Nixon on um, for decades 
have been hoping that welcoming China into a global economy would make it a responsible stakeholder. That's kind of what the way they wanted, you know, bring them into the global economy and make them a responsible stakeholder and perhaps bring about political reform there. But Trump's policies of neo-protectionism and an us versus them mentality will, in my opinion, only hurt America and turn away possible allies in the short and the long term. And Biden is continuing this nonsensical um, uh, policies, decisions. I, I, I don't get it. Um, I think we were doing pretty well. And I think the Chinese people, that the chance of a Chinese democracy eventually, hopefully, it has been hurt with, the, with, our, um, with our battles that we picked with them. They're, they're hunkering down. Yeah, I, I mean, I think on the positive side, Mike, at least the Biden administration seems to be opening up more of a dialogue with China about the future. And so hopefully there will be some opportunities for a more collaborative environment. But but uh, yeah, in general, I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. On the political side, as we transition into that, uh, the status of the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that Biden has been pushing, and it's been significantly whittled down already, uh, is still in question. The Senate Republicans blocked an effort yesterday to begin debate on the bill, uh, to, uh, but they do expect, according to Democrats, that the bill will come to a head early next week. The, the Democrats are hoping there will be some final agreement that they can take a vote on, and they are hoping to make it procedurally a vote that can pass by majority, which the Democrats are then able to control themselves. Yeah. Like with the budget plan, they can do that. Um, so, and the status of $3.5 trillion budget plan is still um, unknown. Don't be surprised for a budget battle that lasts for another month or so. And don't be surprised if we have another government shutdown because of it. Uh, immigration in the news this week, Mike, a Texas federal court has struck down the Obama uh, DACA program, saying it was an overstep of executive authority. You may recall that this program has allowed several hundred thousand, about 600,000 young immigrants who are here illegally to get certain legal protections and stay in the country. Wow. Uh, they had to be under 16, I believe it was, at the time they came in. And there are some other other requirements. Uh, but the judge has stayed implementation of the decision, so they're not going to start throwing these people out uh, or out of the program uh, and has put it back to the Department of Homeland Security to decide exactly how to handle implementation of the decision. Not surprisingly, the Biden administration opposes the decision and says they will appeal the ruling. In addition, uh, related to immigration, Mike, Customs and Border Patrol figures last, released last week showing over a million arrests at the border for illegal crossings so far this year, more than any full year since 2005. So that's in a half a year, more than any full year since 2005. Now, uh, they're forecasting a 20-year uh, uh, high this year by the end of the year of illegal crossings. Uh, but there's a lot of debate, Mike, about whether this actual number of is is persons crossing or is it just efforts to cross multiple times by the same people? So is it a million people who've tried to cross the border or is it 250,000 who've on average tried to cross four times? And uh, because we now have an emergency policy in place that uh, based on CDC direction from when the pandemic began, to allow the immediate return of those persons to Mexico without legal process or arrest. So they can get tossed over and tomorrow try it again. 
Exactly. If you made the long, arduous trip from um, southern Mexico to to the border and uh, you get denied or you get caught on day one, now they're just taking you. They used to detain you or there was a Trump policy actually that flew you home. And but now you're just getting dropped off right back on the other side of the border. So what are you going to do on day two? Right. Yep. Swim you, again. You're going to try again. Right. Jump, whatever. Yeah. All right, Scott. In um, technology, the Blue Origin flight where Amazon founder Jeff Bezos went to space Tuesday morning aboard a rocket built by his own space flight company, Blue Origin. It was the first manned suborbital f- orbital flight in human history with an all civilian crew. And and Scott, if you saw it, I, I thought it was pretty comical that the winner of the seat on the Blue Origin trip, uh, who I, I don't know, he he bid on it in an auction, didn't he? And he, for like thirty like, million dollars. Yeah, or something? I think it was around thirty million. Yeah. Yeah, he did not go because he had a scheduling conflict. I think he didn't talk to his wife before he made that bid, Mike, and she said, <laughs> "I scheduled dinner with Bob and Sally next week. What, we were having we bridge. Can't go to space. We were having bridge." <laughs> yeah, that's a curious story, Mike. I think there's some there that we don't know. Uh, you don't bid $30 million on the chance to be one of the first private people in space and then decide, oh, you know what? I got something else that week. I got um, something more important. I got a golf game. Yeah. The interesting twist to that, Mike, is that a 18-year-old uh, from the Netherlands ended up taking the seat. And apparently his father is the head of a hedge fund or some sort of trading fund and is a billionaire. So I, I suspect he may have uh, loaned him a few dollars to, to bid on it. But um, he ended up going to space as the youngest person ever. So that was kind nice. of exciting for him. Yeah, we had the older, um, the lady that went who was an astronaut in the, Mer- uh, yeah. female astronaut in the Mercury program who was not allowed to go to space because she was a female. Right. And um, now she went into space and that was pretty, pretty thrilling. In her 80s, I think, right? Yes. Yeah, the interviews with her were fantastic. Yeah. So that's exciting. We mentioned before, Mike, the FDA's controversial approval of a drug called aducanumab, I think I'm pronouncing that right, for the preventative treatment of Alzheimer's. Uh, And three large hospitals have now said that they are not going to administer the drug, including Mount Sinai and Cleveland Clinic. So some very influential healthcare companies are saying they just don't feel like the uh, side effects and other risks justify the, the treatment as well as obviously the costs. So uh, they're not going to administer the drug at this point. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. That's, but that's the way the market should work, I guess. Right. Yeah. I, I'm sure there will be places that do and people can yep. seek those out if that's what they want to do. On the cultural side, just real quickly, Mike, uh, important development in the Middle East. So a place known for women having a very limited role uh, particularly publicly in things, Saudi Arabia is now permitting women this year to participate in Hajj, which is a Muslim tradition, religious tradition, without an accompanying male for the first time. All Muslims who are capable are required to participate in the Hajj pilgrimage at least once in their lives. It's a five-day ritual to visit Mecca. Uh, Normally, they have about 2 million people participating, but because of pandemic limitations, it's only 60,000 this year as well as last year. Yeah, Scott, if somebody buys the non-fungible token that includes all of our episodes, um, interestingly enough, I think this what you just reported there could be the most important thing um, you know, a change in values in the Middle East, um, that could be huge. I hope, I hope it, it, it is huge. I hope it means something ongoing. Um, 
Yeah, having yeah. having been to Saudi Arabia once and uh, spent a few days there on business, uh, to me, it, it's a pretty huge development. I mean, you could just tell the the difference when you entered that country in terms of the role of women and and how um, you know what what they were and weren't allowed to do. Yeah, hopefully this is great news for women. On the legal front, Mike. Today, it was announced, uh, as reported by the Wall Street Journal, that drug distributors Amerisource Bergen, Cardinal Health, and McKesson, uh, as well as manufacturer Johnson & Johnson, have reached a settlement of about $26 billion in the opioid litigation initiated by state and federal governments uh, and and joined by a number of other plaintiffs who were involved in the opioid crisis. Uh, and the allegation was, of course, that these companies helped fuel the nation's opioid epidemic by uh, promoting the use of these drugs more broadly than what they should have been used for. From 1999 to 2019, the nation lost nearly half a million people to overdoses of prescription and illegal opioids, according to federal data. And I dare say not many of us have not been touched by this in some way. Yeah, Scott, and I read about this too. I mean, drug overdose deaths in the United States rose nearly 30% in 2020 to 93,331. That's 93,000 drug overdose deaths um, in 2020. Uh, It's crazy. It boggles my mind. The surge was driven largely by a proliferation proliferation of the powerful synthetic opioid fentanyl, uh, which is frequently mixed with other illicit drugs without the users knowing and just makes them more powerful. Um, The pandemic with its social isolation, trauma and job losses, of course, amplified the epidemic and nobody knows what those numbers truly are, how much it it, it amplifies it. But uh, I think we know for sure that it did. Um, And now it's an epidemic of overdoses. Shall we move into entertainment, Mike? Um, it's hard. It's hard to go to entertainment after that, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think we have to. We owe it to our listeners, and and frankly, I spent two ungodly hours for this project. So so yeah, let's go into it. I guess I uh, I was getting back at Mike a little bit this time by telling him we should do Space Jam Two, a new movie starring LeBron James and Bugs Bunny, of course. Um, and Mike, I knew might not like this one, and I guess you, I won't. I won't give away your comments, Mike. But maybe that turned out to be true. Uh, I I wanted to watch this just because Space Jam One, which starred Michael Jordan, was a big hit when my son was small, and he loved it. So I I saw it many times. Although I did go back and rewatch it just to kind of rec- refresh my recollection. Oh my. Um, I guess my view, Mike, is Space Jam Two which was actually the biggest box office opening in theaters since the pandemic began, uh, was actually not a bad movie, particularly for kids who enjoy basketball or LeBron James fans, maybe enjoy animated shows. Uh, But interestingly, there is a demographic in the 20s and early 30s that apparently are the heaviest uh, watchers of this movie. I I read at least going to the box office or the the ones going. And uh, maybe it's the old Looney Tunes cartoons that we still remember. No, Um, no, those were the kids. Those were the kids that watched Space Jam that wanted to go back and see Space Jam Well, that's probably true. That's probably true. Yeah. So anyway, bottom line, I I won't spend a lot of time in going into the details or try to give anything away. But this movie, I felt like had a little more complexity in terms of storylines than the first one in the sense it had a story about a father-son issue and some conflict that, you know, explodes and then gets resolved. 
um, and maybe some lesson about fathers and how they deal with their kids. Uh, it also had a little bit of an old school, you know, relevance to the future question because these Looney Tune characters who are from the past are trying to deal with the future and the evolution of uh, digital space and gaming and what have you. And, and so uh, I felt like there were a few storylines here that gave it more character than the original. Um, having said that, basketball players should not be actors, so neither Jordan or LeBron James really did a good job at all in terms of the acting. In fact, I, I would have to say, in terms of acting, the animated characters did a way better job than the real people in Space Jam. Um, but, you know, I still found it entertaining and, and fun to watch compared to a number of other movies that I felt like I was being tortured to sit through. Yeah, Scott, I'll tell you, I, I, on the positive note... LeBron James is 10 times the actor that uh, Michael Jordan was. Wouldn't you agree? I, I thought uh, LeBron James. I don't know did, if I'd say 10 times, but he was better. Yes. He was much better, but, but he was asked to do so much in this movie. He was, he was in practically every scene and he actually had to act. He had to, he had to show emotion. And, and even though he's 10 times better than Michael Jordan, he was still horrible. He was 10 times worse than any of the other actors I've ever seen in any other show I've watched over the last year. I mean, utterly ridiculously bad. Um, uh, and, and certainly should not have been asked to carry the load of this show. The, sh the movie was terribly done, horrible. I, I, that's enough. I'm, that's all I'm going to say, except for I'm, I'm going to spend my time to, because I'm a list maker and everybody knows me knows I'm a list maker. Um, if you want a movie that gives the same type of message, you know, that, that parents should let their kids be and, and, and support them and love them for who they are, watch Coco or Mulan or Moana. Okay. And if you want, if you think that we shouldn't judge, um, kids movies, we should judge them differently. I disagree with you completely, uh, completely. Um, there are some outstanding, unbelievable kids movies made every year and uh, I'm going to give you a brief list of some of my favorites, just if, if you haven't seen any of these. This is the way I want to spend my time, Scott, rather than talking about this horrible movie. Go, watch Toy Story, watch The Incredibles, watch Babe, Finding Nemo, Ratatouille, E.T., Up, Spirited Away, The Iron Giant, The Lion King, Kiki's Delivery Service, Shrek, and the list could go on and on, but that's enough. Um, you know, replay that. If you haven't seen any of these movies, watch any of them before you, of, of course, before you watch this awful movie that Scott Re Scott's you didn't talking mention about. mention The Little Mermaid, Mike. You don't like that one? I, you know, uh, I didn't have girls, and so I did like Little Mermaid, and I saw it, and we watched it. And I guess it didn't have the same, um, I don't know, meaning to me. But, yeah, no, it, that definitely would be on my list of good kids' movies. But, uh, you know, I had to limit my list to something. Didn't you chuckle at some of the Looney Tune things and and like the crowd? You know, you got Judy Jetson in the crowd at the basketball game. It, it was a, it King was a commercial Kong. for it was a commercial for Warner Brothers all the way through. It was it was unadulterated in your face. I mean, they had they had all references to Casablanca, references to all the movies that they, they own in their vault. Just what to to pack themselves on the back or to make money off of it. It was, just, it was ridiculously uh, put together. I didn't get it. All right. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Once again, Mike and I disagree at times on movies, but uh, <laughs> once in a while we come in alignment. Yeah. Every once in a while.
<laughs> All right, Mike, we better wrap up. It's been a long report here. We'll we'll have trouble whittling this down to 24 minutes, but we'll do our best. But uh, watched at 1.5 uh, speed. Yeah, I'm sorry, 1. listen. 5, at, we're good. Yeah, 1. listen 5, at 1.5. Yeah. All right, Mike, we'll have a great weekend, and um, I hope that you get some relaxation. Thanks, Scott. You too. Have a good weekend. Talk to you soon. Bye.